Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. I'll be reading this morning from the Epistle of Hebrews. I'll be reading from chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. I'll be reading from the, the New King James Version. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. In John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. The next verse says, He said this signifying what death he would die. Now that's very interesting. I mean, thousands of people were crucified on Roman crosses. What makes this so different? And why would he say that this would be something which would draw all men unto him? Now, parenthetically, this isn't about universalism. The, the Bible teaches contrary to that. It wasn't saying that, that if I go to the cross and die, what that means is that everybody will want to follow me. But it does mean that the grace of God that brings salvation will have appeared unto all men. And the cross was big enough to forgive every sin of every man who ever lived. What was different about this one, this Roman cross? What was the difference in Jesus' cross? And the answer is two things, really. One is that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. That's, now, that's different. Romans 1 and 4 says that it was that resurrection that proved him to, to be the Son of God. But not just that. It was the blood. It was that there was a uniqueness about his blood, a sort of, a, sort of an eternal fountain of youth by which people could have forgiveness for the sins that they had committed and that their sins would not prohibit them from being in heaven with God forever and ever and ever. It was about that blood. There was something unique about it. I'm going to talk today about the blood. I came today to talk in, I, I, I want to talk in both of our services today about the blood. There are eight things I wish the world knew about the blood of Jesus Christ. Eight important Things. Now, it's interesting to me that, that you and I, we're not very good with blood. I mean, most of us feel uncomfortable, and I, didn't, I wasn't taught that. I, I just, I'm, I'm not suited for triage. I'm not suited for an emergency room. I'm, I'm not really very good around a lot of blood. I can handle a little bit of it, but not a lot of it. Nobody ever taught me that. It's just, I'm just that way. And some of you are medical in this room. And I can tell because you're smiling at me right now. I think you're making fun, but you, know, I, you can get used to it. You can get, I think you can be around it enough that it doesn't do that to you. But what's very interesting is that, that while you have a, a large portion of the population that's 
real ill at ease about blood. Some people are hemophobic and they just pass out when they see it. They just drop. I'm not that, but the Bible doesn't shy, shy back from blood. The, Bible doesn't, the Bible's not embarrassed about blood, especially when it's applicable to the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9 and 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I just see an irony in Matthew 26 and 27. In, in chapter 27, you have Pilate saying, I wash my hands of the blood of this just man. But in 26, you have Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. He gave him the fruit of the vine, and he said, this is my blood. Covenant of the New Testament. This is the New Testament for the remission of sins. Pilate didn't get it. I don't suppose Pilate did. It's about the blood. And so that's why our songs are, are, are so saturated with the idea of the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's not just a quietly sung song. It's a passionate thing. It's a, it's a thing that drives us. I know that I have but one hope, and that's the blood of Jesus. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. Now listen to this. He plunged me to victory. That is to say, it is to picture it is to, to picture an immersion in his blood. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And we don't look at the blood and say, oh, I can't stand to look at that. I mean, when we talk about Christ's blood, we use the word precious very often to precede it. It is the precious blood of Jesus. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Now, what I want to do with your permission is to, is just to give you a, a sense of, of the significance of blood of the Scripture. So the first, one, first point I want to make is this. Eight things I wish the world knew about the blood of Jesus. The first one is that it fills the Scriptures. It fills the Bible to help us see the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to give you just a smattering of these. I'm going to, I'm going to walk through the scriptures. We start with Genesis and I'm going to walk through the scriptures with you. And just to give you a sense of the emphasis, it won't be comprehensive. I really don't have time to do that in this sermon or these sermons. In the Old Testament, the word blood is found in the King James 346 times. In the New Testament, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it is found 101 times, so about 450 times you have reference to blood in the Bible. In Genesis, it was a respectable sacrifice when you open up and talk about chapter 4, verse 4, and Abel. And you remember how that worked, and God had respect to Abel and to his sacrifice, but to Cain, his sacrifice. Well, what was it about Abel's sacrifice? What's the diff? And the answer is that he offered of the firstlings of his flock. Get it, please? It's, it's sort of a predecessor to what we're going to see throughout the Scriptures. It was a bloody sacrifice. Bloody. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Uh, you know what that means. Romans 10 and 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That is to say that what Abel did, he did because God told him to do it. He did it by faith. And it was a bloody sacrifice made to God. 
One more parenthetical quick thing about Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. We learned here about blood that, that the shedding of blood is a term used to describe death. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, let's go on. In Exodus, it's a thing that is identified or that identifies God's faithful. The first and the last plague on Egypt were bloody. So you remember the first one was that the water was turned to blood. And so Moses goes, and with the staff that had turned into a serpent, he addresses the water, and you can just see the Nile River become blood. And then all the water in the pots and the rivers and the ponds, all of it was blood. Now you talk about people passing out. I think they must have been dropping like flies. And the smell, and the Bible says that the fish in the water died. And why do you suppose that he begins, God begins these ten plagues, water turned to blood, frogs, lice, flies, murrain of the cattle, boils, hell, locust, darkness, death, the firstborn. Why do you suppose that he begins it with blood? And the answer is because it's existential. He, he gets their attention by saying, I'm telling you, this gets right, right down to your existence. And then you get to the last one in chapter 7, or chapter 12 rather. And here is verse 13, and you have the Passover. Uh, God says, I'm going to take the life of the firstborn in every house. But to his people, to the Hebrews, he says, you take the blood of the sacrifice, and I want you to put it on the doorpost and the lentils of the house. And when I come over that night, I will pass over when I see the blood. If I see the blood, then that firstborn is going to live. Now, if you have any trouble getting that metaphor, you know, that, that imagery, if you have any trouble, all you have to do, you know, what is he saying by this? This seems so very strange. And the people of God, their, their, their sons, their firstborns survived. But if you've got you to figure this out, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says that Jesus is our Passover. Josephus says that there were, at the Passover feast of the Jews, that there were a quarter of a million animals slain at the Passover. A quarter of a million. I, I, the, the blood, I mean, how many gallons of blood is that? And for what purpose? And it was to prepare people. Galatians chapter 3 is to prepare people with the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It's to prepare people to understand the emphasis of the, the atoning blood from Jesus. We get to Isaiah, and you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 53. We read, read from this beautiful chapter often. The Messiah would be led to the slaughter as a lamb. 53.12 says that the Messiah would, listen to this, would pour out his soul unto death. Now you bear in mind that soul often is, denotes life. Leviticus 17.11 says the life is in the blood. I, I believe that the pouring out of his soul unto death is a reference to the cross and to his blood. We come to the New Testament, to Matthew. And here's Matthew 26 and 28 as he's giving them, teaching them about the Lord's Supper and how to eat the Lord's Supper at the Passover, at the Last Supper, before he just, I mean, just hours away from his crucifixion. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I want you to know this, and I want you to remember this, and I want it to be a perpetual feast for you. In John, John 1 and verse 29, when John the Baptist looked up and saw Jesus, he referred to him this way, this is the Lamb of God. Why would you call a man a lamb? You understand it, of course. It's about the sacrifice. It is that he is the sacrificial lamb, and we'll discuss that more in a few minutes. This is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it's the blood of Christ that purchases our salvation. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, elders, and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Now, don't let, don't let that hang you up now. I mean, don't, don't get confused and say, well, wait a minute. I thought the blood of Jesus was to forgive people's sins, wash away their sins. And why does it say here that the blood was to purchase the church? And the answer is because it's the same thing. When Jesus saves someone from their sins, where does he put them? The answer is he adds them to his church. The church is the group of people that belong to Jesus. It is the group of people who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. You get to Romans now, chapter 3 and verse 25. It's the propitiation. For I say, now, propitiation is a word we don't use very much, but it means satisfying. It means to satisfy. God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. God's a holy God. His anger and justice burns against sin. And he swore that he would punish sin. There's got to be a satisfactory, a satisfaction in the payment for sin. But God said, if you please, if I punish man for his sin, he'll die and go to hell. On the other hand, if I don't punish man for his sin, my justice will never be satisfied. What's the solution to that? God said, I'll be the substitute. I'll take the sin of man on myself in agony and blood a righteous judgment, and a substitute for sin. God's wrath burned out on the cross when his only son died as man's propitiation for sin. When you get to Ephesians, you'll find in chapter 1 and verse 7 these words, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then to Colossians chapter 120, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood that is his cross. The blood of his cross. Incidentally, just to throw this in, in Matthew chapter 5, when you have the Beatitudes in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. I don't believe has to do with making peace between humans. It has to do with making peace with God. And Colossians 1.20 says that, that the blood is what made peace between people and their God. The Bible is filled with it. I, I just gave you a smattering. I just walked through, and I, I know what you maybe some of you are thinking about Hebrews and Revelation. I'm going to talk about those briefly in just a couple of minutes. Here's number two. I wish the world knew that it had to be this way. I mean the blood. I mean Christ's blood. It had to be this way to redeem man from sins. So you get to Matthew chapter 26, and here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I've been there. And you could see Jerusalem. 
And, and Jesus is going to be escorted by this mob of Romans and Jews. He's going to be escorted to Jerusalem. But he meets here with his disciples and he prays. And you remember the prayer. Now get this. It has to be the blood. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So what was the answer to that, that plea? If it's possible, the cup, of course, was the suffering of the cross. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What was the answer? The answer was, go on to the cross. There was no other way. It's so important to see it. There was no other way. It had to be this way. Now, here are the facts. One, sin is breaking God's law. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Sin is transgression of God's law. New King James says, sin is lawlessness. Number two, God is holy. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, the seraphim cry out, holy, holy, holy is God. They repeated it over and again. Jehovah is perfectly holy. And because of that, now this, is, this is where you got to get it. Because of that, he cannot cohabitate with sin. He cannot excuse it. He cannot overlook it. Habakkuk 1.13, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. It's because of his goodness. It's because of his holiness. He could simply, if he could simply overlook sin, that his goodness would be compromised. Three, God's justice and goodness demand separation from God when man sins. The wages of sin is spiritual death. And you know Isaiah 59 and 2, that your sins have separated you from your God. In Romans chapter 6 and 23, the wages of sin, you know what? It's not sometimes, it's all the time. The wages of sin is death. That's just how it is. And so you have two very important conflicting realities. The need for man to be reconciled to his creator despite his sin and the same time the justice of God has to be acknowledged and how will this be and the answer is the only way is for an innocent life to stand in thus paying the price of atonement but it couldn't just be a small child for example who had no sin it had to be somebody who was old enough to be tempted somebody who who faced temptation and chose not to sin only that person was was the one who had the, the credentials. And there was only one who had done that. And so here's the Apostle Paul in Romans 3. And he argues this point, beginning in 24, justified freely. I think that the, the closest word in our common vernacular to justified is the word acquitted. And I won't spend more time on that. Just, just think about that. Justified freely by grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. But it's got to be his blood. It's got to be the blood. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Hold that. Hebrews 10 and verse 4, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Now just let that soak in. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. But we're not talking about animal blood because that wouldn't do it. That wasn't enough. The the animal blood of the Old Testament 
forgave sins, but only in the sense that writing a check is taken as payment for some service or some product. You write a check sometime and you hand it and it gives you a receipt. Why does he do that? He doesn't have the money. Yeah, but it's considered a promissory note. It's considered something that represents what will happen. And that is when he deposits that check, the money will be taken from one account and put it put in another. And that's how, the, that's how those bloody animal sacrifices were. From heaven's vantage point, human life dwells in a person's blood. That's true about you and me. Leviticus 17 and verse 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. If it were possible then for somebody to subject himself to temptation, the rigors, the challenges of temptation like you and I face, and yet pass the test without sinning. Does that ring in your ear? Hebrews 4 and verse 15. He was tempted in all points such like as we are yet without sin. If a man was tempted this way without sin, the divine scheme of things would, would qualify him on behalf of those who could not qualify themselves. This, this procedure, in this procedure, mercy would be extended and at the same time justice would be preserved. It was the only way, and I know that because in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said if it's possible, if there's another way, let's do it. And there wasn't. I'm going to read from Revelation. This is one of my favorite chapters about the blood of Jesus. And it's 14 verses. Bear with me. Let's read this chapter. I'm in Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to enjoy it with me. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I wept greatly because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the lamb, I'm sorry, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Who is that? He's Jesus. He's the lion of Judah. He's the root of David. That is, he's the offspring of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked. Look over there. You see on the throne? Look. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, the lamb, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign 
on the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. The four living creatures said amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. I'm not going to preach the sermon about Revelation chapter 5. I just want you to get something I think is very important. So at the beginning, John, the revelator, weeps because there's nobody to open the scroll. And the answer is... The one on the throne can open the scroll. He's the Lion of Judah. And so you look over. He did. You look over to the throne. And there is the Lion on the throne. But the next thing you know, the one on the throne is the Lamb. And he's been sacrificed. It's the bloody Lamb. You say, oh, there's, there's two creatures? No. There is only one creature. And this is imagery. This is not to be taken literally. This, this is symbolism. But the fact is, it is the lamb and the lion. It is Jesus the Christ, the lion of Judah. But he offered himself as the sacrifice. And by his blood, you and I have redemption. Now, one more thing, and then I'm going to be finished for this morning. We'll come back tonight and take it up. I want to talk tonight about, about the blood in the church, the blood in our worship. I want to talk about the covenant. I, I want to talk about how you and I live saved because of the blood. And, and the fact is that right now, I mean this very moment, you and I are cleansed by the fact that we have access to that blood. And we'll talk about that tonight. I hope you'll come back. But here's number three for this lesson. Of eight things I wish the world knew about the blood of Jesus. The only way that a man can access that perfect blood is in water baptism. I, I say that without... Any, I mean, I say it with the knowledge of how many people disagree with that statement, but I'm telling you, I have no hesitation at all. How can we contact that blood today? Now, this won't take long. It's not difficult to see it. It's not about faith only, and it's not about praying the sinner's prayer. This is about water baptism being the means by which we access the blood, the only blood by which a person can be saved. It will be by water baptism or it will not happen. Follow me. So here we go in Matthew 26, 28. Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, and I've referenced this a couple of times in this lesson. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Here's the last line. For the remission or forgiveness of sins. What is it that washes away our sins? We sing about this, don't we? What can wash away my sins? And this is the answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, everybody believes that. I mean, everybody in Christendom believes that, that it's the blood that washes away sins. But it's also a fact that Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 uses that same phrase, that same clause, for the forgiveness or remission of sins. It's the same in the English. It's the same in the Greek. It's the same clause for the forgiveness of sins. And one of them says, this is my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. And the other one says, repent and be baptized 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And that's why when you have Revelation 7 and 14, and this is beautiful, you have this innumerable number of people in heaven who had triumphed over tribulation, and the Bible says there they had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The washing was attributable to the blood of Jesus. Now, hold on. Acts 22 and 16. And now, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It is in water baptism. It's when I go into, and you have Romans chapter 6 that teaches us the same thing. It's when I go into the waters of baptism that my sins are washed away by the blood. That's how I contact the blood of Jesus. It's interesting to me that, that we, we are sort of woven. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that anybody teaches us this, but you and I are sort of woven in our psyche with this discomfort with blood. We don't like it. We don't like to. I mean, I'm glad for it because I couldn't live without it. But now seeing it, that's a horse of a different color. That's different, right? We don't really want to see it. Some people really don't want to see it. But when you come into this room, when you get together with Christians, we often precede the word blood with the word precious. And we're, we openly talk about it in this room, don't we? We openly talk about it every week because we know something about that blood. It is our only hope. And it's not a little hope. When you're washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So glad you're here this morning. Is there someone here who needs to obey the gospel? Today would be a great day. Just what the Bible says. That's what you need to do. Repent of your sins and confess his sweet name and be baptized. Just like Jesus said. And all the things tie in too, don't they? With Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Don't you be saying now we're saved because of the water. Somehow the water washes us. That's not it. We're saved by the blood of Jesus when we're baptized in water. Why? Because that's what he said. That's what he said to do. That's simply the truth. You could obey the gospel today and we'll baptize you into Christ and have your sins washed away. If you need the prayers of the Christians for some reason, for whatever reason, we'll be so happy to pray with you today. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.